the president's favorite movies over the past several years, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, then they just talked about other political figures, and uh, they said Al Gore's favorite movie is Tron. <laughs> Graham, Graham's just, it just makes him hurt more in his heart to know that Gore wasn't elected. <laughs> yeah. Knowing that That's true. a Tron lover almost was there. He invented the technology for Tron. That's right. It, no, Jeff Bridges' character is based on Al Gore. <laughs> Welcome to another Film Nerds Roundtable podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scalisi, and with me once again is Graham Flanagan from New York and Ben Flanagan from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And today we're going to be uh, talking about uh, a, a giant of the cinema that uh, is lost to us recently. Uh, Paul Newman died last week, um, as a lot of you probably are aware of now. And uh, we're going to take this roundtable podcast to discuss uh, some of our favorite Paul Newman performances and uh, just sort of the contributions that he's made to the American cinema uh, over his very long and prolific career. Uh, so first off, let me uh, let me welcome you guys to the podcast. And I just want to start out, um, Graham, we'll start with you. Just if you can maybe sum up, what do you think is Paul Newman's sort of persona uh, in the American cinema, what, what's if he established kind of an iconic presence? What, how would you describe that? Well, um, he's definitely just as cool as uh, Steve McQueen or, or James Dean or any of the the other icons of cool that emerged from the fifties and sixties. But he he didn't have that kind of he he was way more approachable than those guys. It seems like he, he they made him much more human. Um, so it was just kind of coexist. Uh, he, he was able to, to be super cool, but then, um, uh, uh, but then human at the same time, which is something that a lot of people weren't able to do. You know, Steve McQueen and James Dean, it, it was hard to find that, that, that human side of them. Um, even when James Dean starts crying in uh, in a uh, rebel without a cause. So that's, I mean, that's the best way I can sum it up, and just one of the best actors uh, and one of the most versatile actors who could go from hilarious comedy to, to um, shattering drama. Ben, what what's sort of your, uh, you know, impression of of Paul Newman? You know, what is what is he kind of when you when you try to sum it all up for someone? What what kind of impression does he leave on you? Uh, he was probably one of, if not the most charismatic screen presences, and probably most likable. Screen presences, you know, back in the early days of his work in the '60s, even up to uh, his work in the '90s, as as late as uh, his Nobody's Fool performance. I think that he was one of the toughest guys. You could, I think, you could uh, throw him in the category with, you know, Charles Bronson, Lee Marvin, all of those guys too. Uh, but his toughness was a little different. Uh, he was more of uh, the lover, not a fighter variety. Um, but you know, his brains and his, what he said pretty much did the dirty work. His fist didn't really need to, but he'd sucker punch you when, right when you thought he was a little too afraid to fight. He, he, he fought unfairly, uh, and he pretty much already outsmarted you and he'd kind of make you forget you got punched in the mouth in the first place and you still liked him after it anyway. 
And um, I really don't think that there's a more likable figure in entertainment. And yeah, it's very sad. <clears throat> I think one of the one of the things that really stands out about Paul Newman's career uh, is a lot of guys. You you mentioned Steve McQueen. Uh, you know, a lot of guys like that got got big in the '60s and '70s. And obviously, Newman had some very iconic performances in. Uh, in The Hustler and Cool Hand Luke and Butch Cassidy and The Sundance Kid uh, that made him a household name in the 60s. But I think what makes Paul Newman uh, a name that is so much more resonant today than maybe Steve McQueen is, is that his career uh, really sort of hit a whole other level or, or really he he kind of hit his stride once again as an older man. You know, he has that that cool... Uh, young guy persona that you guys are talking about, but there's almost kind of a second Paul Newman that emerged in the in the late '80s and the '90s, where he became one of the great, you know, older uh, actors in all of Hollywood in the '90s and and uh, a couple of roles in the early part of this decade. Ben and Graham, either one of you guys, talk talk about the work that he continued to do, kind of in his old age. His last, uh, well, I mean, he did a few movies in the uh, in the nineties, um, and he, he did Road to Perdition. That was his last major right. you know, live action live action role. But I think you know that the, the last role that he did that's really going to resonate with people for a long time is nineteen ninety four uh, Nobody's Fool. They did for uh, Robert Benton, who had who had um, directed uh, Kramer versus Kramer. Okay. But uh, I think that nobody's fool. You know, he's he plays a guy who who is past his prime. He's an old man, and that for me is the signature role for him. It's the signature Paul Newman image for me. It's the poster for that movie where he's just an old guy who he's uh, still trying to figure out his life, and then and um, he's lost track of what really matters, uh, what his priorities are, and what they should be. And then kind of once he. Um, Reestablish his communication with his family, with his estranged son, and now his grandchildren. He he really starts to see uh, what does matter in life, and and that sets him on the right course. So that is is the main one for me. But then also just the same year, uh, I believe you have Hudsucker Proxy, which is one of his best performances in my opinion, and a great per- comedic performance. He uh, was able to to be hilarious and dramatic at the same time. I want to I want to do this uh, as a as an exercise, and we'll you know whenever we kind of have these tribute podcasts in the future, I, I think we'll kind of use this format. Let's let's go through and uh, and just talk about uh, one favorite performance that we that we each pick here uh, of Paul Newman's career. And uh, I'll start with you, Ben. What, what what would you say is your favorite Paul Newman performance? Uh, I think it's it's really easy to refer to the George Roy Hill trilogy he did um, with Butch Cassidy, The Sting, and uh, what is my favorite Paul Newman movie and maybe performance in Slapshot, uh, the 1977 comedy, uh, I should say highly profane comedy um, about hockey, about a minor league hockey team. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's a certain... I don't know. There's a certain poetry when it comes to profanity. I think that some people have perfected, and Paul Newman really did it in Slapshot. And I hate to I hate to say that that's you know profanity is one of his crowning achievements, but he used it really well, and it really suited his character Reggie Dunlop, who coached the Kansas City or not the Kansas City, but uh, 
the uh, what's the name of the city? Charleston here? Chiefs. Charleston Chiefs. Yeah, Charleston Chiefs. Uh, but really, if there's any movie that I'll reach for that'll help me remember Paul Newman uh, most fondly, it's probably going to be this uh, just wacky uh, movie about this pathetic team that kind of finds uh, success using fighting and violence during their games, and it should really be a top priority for people who are looking to uh, even start uh, into Paul Newman's catalog. I just I love that movie so much. It's a movie that my dad actually rented for my brother and me when we were very young um, at an old uh, video store, and uh, to this day I don't understand why a uh, grown man would rent this movie for his children uh, so <laughs> yeah. many years ago. Yeah, but, uh, he wouldn't. He wouldn't let us see a lot of stuff. You know, we'd have lots of battles with him about we want to see this or that R-rated movie, and he would say no. But yeah, for this one, you know, one really one of the most profane comedies ever, if not for its age. <laughs> he he encouraged us to watch it and watched it with us and laughed at, at it and would recall it later, and then we'd go back and rent it again. I think we all look forward to sitting down with our sons one day and, and watching an R-rated profane comedy with them at some point. Or daughters. <laughs> right. can, I just, can I just touch on Slapshot real quick? Yeah, go ahead. I, I rented it the other day. I don't own it. I rented it to uh, take to work because I, you know, I, we were, we were, uh, I wanted to, to possibly have the option of using some scenes from Paul Newman's career. Uh, and so I was going through Slapshot, and every time – I would I would get to a point where I was like, okay, here's a good speech or here's a funny moment. It would he would say the f word, you know, or or someone else would like. There's a great scene where they they come back into the locker room, and uh, Newman, Paul Newman's trying to get him excited and trying to get get in their in his team's heads and pump them up, and then all and I'm like, oh, this is great. This is a good eight seconds of sound. And then all of a sudden, the, one of the Hanson brothers says, yeah, stick them, them, Christ, pop them. <laughs> I'm like, damn it! <laughs> there that went. <laughs> but it was an excuse to uh, to uh, you know watch Slapshot at work, and I got to charge it to the game. You know that example works. Sorry, I'll, I'll touch on it one more time, Matt. That example works for me. I was writing a column for the Tuscaloosa News, kind of remembering Paul Newman, and I wanted to use a quote from Slapshot, and I couldn't find one. Uh, I went to the IMDb quotes page, and I watched a little bit of it too, but I couldn't find a quote that I could you know print in a newspaper. Because it was too profane. What's wrong with they? What's wrong with they brought their f- toys with them? <laughs> a masterpiece of swearing. And Ben, you also mentioned, uh, you know, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and the Sting, which I think are two really uh, iconic period pieces from the '70s, from kind of a a decade that you think of more as kind of the emergence of the the you know the modern introspective. Uh, drama films that were sort of about the the people of the day. You know, it was about the it was about real situations that people were living through. And then you've got these two, really, I think two of the more memorable period films uh, of the last thirty or forty years that that Paul Newman was uh, involved with. And you know, they're they're just such great genre films. They're just such uh, timeless classic movie movies. You know, they're 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 films that aren't necessarily uh, all that revealing about humanity or anything, which was kind of the sentiment of the time. But you know, they're they're these they're just great stories with great sort of iconic performances from Newman in both of them. You know, I think that Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and the Sting are bar none two of American cinema's two most entertaining movies ever. Um, you know, for years I regarded Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid as my favorite movie. 
uh, growing up. And every time I watch it, I, I kind of feel the same way. I want to put it back into that category. And uh, with Paul Newman, you know, as a child, I always wanted to kind of side with uh, Robert Redford's kind of brooding hotshot gunslinger character, the Sundance Kid. But um, the more and more I watch it as I grow up, I've kind of developed a greater appreciation for Paul Newman's character, who was, you know, the genius ahead of his time, who uh, just he, he puts it he, he puts it so just beautifully in the movie where um, he has all of these wonderful ideas, you know, including one where he thinks they should go to Bolivia, uh, where he th- just on a hunch thinks that there's money down there, but he puts it best when people just kind of dismiss his uh, ideas where he says, I've got vision and the rest of the world wears bifocals. And I thought that that was just such a great line. And I actually only saw The Sting a few years ago, or actually in the last year, I'd probably say. And uh, ha- having watched it, I told Graham this recently, I think that Steven Soderbergh might admit that his Oceans trilogy owes a lot to The Sting. And uh, the Clooney character owes a lot to uh, Paul Newman's character in uh, The Sting. Oceans 13 is practically a remake of it. Oh, if sure. you uh, go back and watch it. I mean, so. the, the Sting The Sting is a film that, you know, all of its success, I mean, it, it, as good as a, of a screenplay as it is, and it's and it's a good story, too, uh, it really, the success of that movie hinges on the charisma of of the actors in the film and how well they pull, they pull it off, you know, because it's ultimately a film about uh, some mischievous guys getting away with something. And, uh, you know, that's what makes it so much fun is is how charismatic Robert Redford is in that movie and how sort of comedically evil uh, Paul Newman is in that film. You know, that's, Yeah, that, that's Paul Newman's easily, to me, his uh, funniest work today. It really showed his comedic chops. I mean, his interplay with Robert Shaw during a poker game on a train in that movie is unbelievable. It, it's, like a, it's, it's actually a performance within a performance as you're watching right. the movie because you're dealing with con men here. But it's some of Paul Newman's strongest work, and I, I know Graham. Um, he has nothing uh, to, <laughs> to refer to this on. He can't. He can't even. He can't chime in. Yeah, crickets chirping in the background. Graham, you never caught the sting. I still haven't. It's nice to have something to look forward to in I life. Guess, I mean, I don't you? So. I, I'm always jealous of people that haven't seen a movie that I love because they they get to see it for the first time. So I'm kind of feeling like I'm in that position now. Definitely, we're we're. I'm definitely jealous of you having having not experienced it yet. I wanna I wanna uh, bring up what I would say is one of my favorite Paul Newman films, uh, which is The Color of Money from 1986, which is uh, a collaboration with one of my favorite directors, Martin Scorsese. But uh, I think it's I think it's you know it's sort of an informal sequel to The Hustler. He plays a, a character by the same name, Eddie Felson, uh, who is a a pool hustler who's kind of struggling with with still keeping that identity that he used to have, and, and, and in a way, it's a little bit about uh, Paul Newman almost, you know, sort of trying to keep that that young, you know, that young brash uh, mentality that that made him who he was over the years, and now he's kind of an older man, and there are younger hotshots like Tom Cruise coming onto the scene, kind of taking over the role that he used to have, and I, I just think it's a it's a it's such an interesting character study and it's 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 such it's a movie that's all about look at how awesome paul newman is and look at how deep he can take a character now as opposed to you know as good as he was earlier in his career and as much charisma as he had uh the guy 
totally takes it to a new level in the color of money and he and he breaks your heart and he and he gives you just such a deep layered psychological portrait of his character you know it was um one of like three or four uh, Scorsese movies that it took me forever to see and you know uh, Scorsese I think it brought he gave that movie a hundred percent he wanted to be there you know uh making this movie uh working with Paul Newman and uh I agree. It's a it's a heartbreaking performance, and and it's obvious. You know, a lot of people give. Uh, I was watching a clip of it the other day with a with an actor buddy of mine, and he he said, you know, he he made a comment saying, "God, Tom Cruise is so bad," and I, that that really angered me. You know, because I've I've always respected Tom Cruise, even the early the early stuff. I mean, a lot of the early stuff is some of his best stuff, and and I think that he really feels like he's lucky to be there with Paul Newman, and Paul Newman respects. Uh, Tom Cruise, and I think that they have a great interplay together, and it's a, uh, it's a, it's a great duo. And he's obviously, I mean, he, you can see in Paul Newman's character that he res- that his character sees potential in this kid and respects him, but but is scared that his potential might be wasted, and you know, he, he just Paul Newman just fleshed that that entire idea out and made it you know, what it became, which is, you know, it, it, I, I think he deserved that Oscar, uh, the Oscar that he got for that. I don't, I mean, a lot of people might see it as a sympathy award, but I don't. I, I think that um, it was well worth it, all the all the uh, acclaim that it received. Graham, do you want to, uh, do you want to give us a, an extra, per, another performance yeah. here that we haven't touched on yet? Yeah, uh, I think my favorite, at least as of right now, is uh, from Sidney Lumet's film, The Verdict. Um, I read Sidney Lumet's book, Making Movies, again, uh, early this earlier in the summer, and he referenced that that movie a lot, and I had never gotten around to seeing it. Finally did, and it's an excellent movie. It was nominated for Best Picture that year. Newman was nominated for Best Actor. He lost to um, Ben Kingsley for Gandhi. Um, but just a, a story of, and all, you know, like a lot of other Paul Newman movies <laughs> about redemption. You know, he plays... Um, a down and out lawyer uh, who gets a, a chance to uh, sue a hospital for malpractice after they kind of they let this woman die. They they don't treat her properly. the The hospital uh, offers him a, a juicy settlement, juicy settlement, and he decides to do the right thing and, and go for it. And they they hire the hospital hires James Mason, you know, so uh, who's the best lawyer in town, the, the Prince of darkness, as he's called in the movie. And so Paul Newman and James Mason go head to head and it's an older James Mason. It's not the James, it's not Humbert Humbert. This is like an older, more uh, statelier James Mason with a mustache this time. And, uh, they go head to head and it's, a, it's a great film and definitely Paul Newman, his, the arc of his character is, is very moving and, you know, just a highly recommended uh, movie from the 80s, one of Sidney, Sidney Lumet's best. Okay, well, uh, before we wrap up here, I, I want to – is there anybody like Paul Newman out there today? Is there, an, is there sort of an obvious successor? Is there, are there any actors out there who you feel like have really based what they do on, on Paul Newman? Uh, I get – you know, I get the sense that a lot of people compare Clooney to, to Newman, but the thing about Newman is – um, he was a he came across as kind of a regular guy when he was on screen, and I don't get that impression really from anybody these days of this generation. Um, sure, there are plenty of likable actors out there who you enjoy you enjoy their work and you enjoy spending a couple of hours with them, 
But um, like I said, Paul Newman's just his charisma is pretty much unmatched uh, in in any generation. And uh, to answer your question, no, I don't. I don't really. I can't find an actor that I can directly compare him to. Yeah, I'm racking my brain right now. I mean, he's a truly a unique. Uh, he was truly a unique entity, and um, you know, I don't think anybody should ever try to be like him. Uh, they're going to fall short every time. He just he should just inspire people to do uh, their best and and to be unique themselves. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks for joining me for this podcast, you guys, and um, hopefully everybody will uh, take a chance over the next month or so, and uh, you know. Go on Netflix, go to the, the rental store, check out Turner Classic Movies. I'm sure they'll be rerunning some of Newman's best films. And just give yourself an opportunity to see some of this guy's work because uh, he's, he's really one of the great performers in the history of American cinema. So thanks for joining us, guys, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next time.